You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 2 as we continue to walk through the book of Luke. Today we will be looking at verses 22... Man, worship was good. You guys were singing today. It's, I don't know, this gets me all, all choked up. We'll, we'll begin in, in 22. So if you want to turn your Bibles to, to Luke 22. Let me pray and uh, we'll dive in. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you um, for the children of our church, the gifts that you have given us. Father, I thank you for each one who's back there serving today and continues to serve um, the parents. And Lord, um, we just ask that you, as they speak the gospel, just as today I get a chance to speak the gospel, Lord, um, that your spirit will work in their hearts and our hearts. And Father, I just ask that for your help today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we did go back. We sang Christmas songs. We look at the birth of Christ as uh, we continue our walk through the book of Luke. We looked at a proper response to Christmas, a proper response to the birth of Christ. And we said that we should hear well, we should make peace, and we should fear not. Now, Luke continues the story of God fulfilling his word by focusing on the events that happened at the temple. However, the temple is not the focus. The the people's the focus. Jesus is the focus. All these things are happening at the temple, but the temple is not the focus. In fact, what we're going to see today and what I'm going to try to pull out of here and show us today is has already been alluded to by the passage that we read and some of the things that, that Nate said is faith is the focus for today. It is these people's faith that is, we are seeing on display. It is their faith in, in the way that they're coming to the temple and the way they're living their lives and their commitment to their God and their Savior. We have Mary and Joseph. We have Simeon. And we have Anna to show us today examples of faith and what it looks like to have faith. The first question we need to answer is, so that we are able to hear well what God has us for today, is simply this. What is faith? Have you ever stopped, excuse me, to ask that question? What is faith? What exactly is this thing that I'm called to have that says that, you know, Hebrews just told us that without faith, it's, we can't please God. Without faith, we can't enter heaven. Without faith, we can't spend eternity with him. Have we ever asked and stopped and thought about what exactly is faith? And closely followed that question is why does faith matter? Why does it matter? And, and I think I've already answered that in, in a couple different ways. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, really that whole chapter is about faith. The entire chapter shows us and tells us what faith is and how it works out in our lives. It gives us many examples from the Old Testament, which is exactly what Paul says in Corinthians that the Old Testament is is for. It's it's to show us, it gives us an example to help us so that we don't make the same mistakes. It shows us who God is and, and all that He has done. 
But it, it, I can't read the whole chapter, but I just want to point, pull out two verses that, that I read earlier, and that is verse 1 and verse 6. Verse 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So it's, it's some kind of an assurance of something hoped for. So it's, a, it's an actual tangible thing, right? The conviction of things not seen. So in other words, it, it's a conviction that leads to action. Then we go down to the why. Why, why is this important? Well, Hebrews 11:6 shows us, and there's a lot in here that I just can't unpack. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what he's saying here. That's what God is saying to us. He's given us a clue. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So what is faith? What is it made of? How do you know if you have it? How does it grow? How does it wane? What is faith? And I think faith has three aspects, and I'm getting this from Martin Luther. And it's going to be pulled up. That might be a good thing to write down. Faith has three aspects. It begins with understanding which leads to conviction, but completes itself in commitment. And through our passage today, as as we look at the different people that we have in our passage today, we see all these things being happening and acting out. It begins with understanding, which leads to conviction, but completes itself in commitment. You know, whenever we are walking without the Lord, whenever we are unregenerate, whenever we have not been born again, that first part is what God helps us with, is the understanding. Not only the understanding of who he is, right? Because so many times there are many people out there that, that can read the Bible and they can give you tangible, you know, knowledge and write it down or give it to you in, in a dissertation or give it to you in an essay, like this God of the Bible. But do they truly know him? They truly understand who he is. But on the flip side of that, the Holy Spirit gives us the understanding that we are actually sinners. Because we know that when we bump into people and we have people in our families and we have friends and people that we're sharing the gospel for, where they know a lot about God. They might have even grown up in church. They might have even gone to a lot of Sunday school classes. They might have even done, you know, the, the summer VBS circuit, right? So they know some things about God. Whenever you press them into that you are a sinner, that you are separated by God, oh, how do they push back? See, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts our hearts and shows us that we are separated from Him. This is how that faith that Ephesians 2 tells us He helps us with. But the interesting thing about faith, it has more implications just within the realm of religion. In fact, Tim Keller would argue that this layer process is absolutely necessary to live by. In other words, that everything that you do, probably 90% of what you do every given day, has this process of faith, and that's why you do it, right? You have an understanding that if I go up, get up and go to work, I have a conviction that I, if I go to work and I work eight hours, at some point in time later on, I am confident, I am committed that... My boss will pay me. (laughs) This is how everything works. This is what Tim Keller is arguing. And as you stop and think about it, it really is. He says this, everything we do, everything we know, everything we learn actually is the result 
of a faith development process. There is nothing except for mathematical equations you can know without a faith development process. In other words, the, the things that you know, the things that you believe in, the things that you trust in follow this little three-part pattern. You come to an understanding that leads to a conviction. This is true. I know it's true. And then you commit to it. You commit to it. Everything that we do is followed in this pattern. Let me just give you an illustration. I want to use Tim's illustration out of one of his books, No Sense of Reinventing the Wheel. Let's just think through this. How does faith work? And you can start plugging it in to the Word of God and how you're living your life out as a Christian. Say you know you have to have a surgery. You are going to find a doctor. That is the rational understanding process. I, I have to have something done. Something has been diagnosed. I need to have something done. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do a little bit of research. And we are research crazy people, right? Because we have Google now. We can research everything, right? Um, so that's just, that feeds right into us. So we're going to research. We get recommendations. We get opinions. We ask people. We get references. You know, if we're going to trust somebody to cut into your body, you might want to get to know him a little bit. Can I just ask this? I stand up here Sunday after Sunday, being in charge of your spiritual life, which I think sometimes is more important than that doctor because that doctor can, can save you or if you pass away, but, but if you pass away, that's eternity. That's what we're talking about. Wouldn't you get to know me a little bit? When you spend the time to say, wait a minute, who is this dude that I come in and I, I sit down every Sunday and he's up there talking about the Bible and things? Yeah, it's wonderful that you look around and there's other people that trust me, but maybe you should step into that. Step into that a little bit. Think about that a little bit. So what do we do? We sift through the evidence, you sort out competing claims, and then you decide, right? Okay, I got the doctor. I got the doctor. Which is the best doctor for me for the situation? It's a rational process. You're not leaping to a conclusion. You're pondering it. You're working it out. You're taking all the information that you got and you're thinking through it. Second, which is the second step, at some point you have enough conviction. In other words, you've gathered enough information. And for some people, you know, I'm a banker. I need as much information as possible. Some people can just go on a little bit I don't, and they go. And that's just the way we're wired. We're all wired differently. Some people need a little bit of information. Some people need a lot of information. I need a lot of information. Sometimes that information paralyzes me. And what am I doing? I'm trusting on the information and not living by faith. So that's a little bit into Joe's heart. That's what he stumbles on. He stumbles by saying, I need all this information before I can make that step. It's like, no, I got to trust God and make that step because he said that he'll be there. He said, this is how his church will run. He said, this is how people will change. This is how he said these things. So we, whatever it is, we, we come to a conclusion, we ponder it, and then we move. We make a decision. And this decision is based, hopefully, off a good reason. This is the right doctor for me. Faith, in any case, is never a leap in the dark. Not real faith. Certainly not the Christian faith. Every single Sunday, we talk about the real things of the gospel. We talk about the real, actual, historical things that the gospel shows us, that the Bible tells us. In fact, if you go back to Luke 1 at the very beginning, this is why Luke is writing this, is it not? 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to written an orderly account for you. That's what he's doing. It's not a leap in the dark. It's not a, a leap anywhere. It's truth. And it's whether or not you believe that truth. This is where so many professing Christians often stop. They're presented the gospel. They see that, okay, that's, that's true. But, but somehow it gets haywire where it's like, okay, it's true for me. And it's true for me in a certain way that I can get something from God. In fact, this is where oftentimes where discipleship stops. We, we have the knowledge in our head and it leads to this conviction. Okay, I, I sort of believe it, but we've never made it to that third step. It gets haywired. In fact, oftentimes what happens is, is then we get taught, okay, you believe it and you feel some conviction about it, but here's 10 different things that you need to do. And then what happens is, is now we're no longer living by faith. We're now living by fear because if we don't do those 10 things then God is not pleased with me or I won't make it to heaven or fill in the blank wherever you have been taught. That is works-based religion. That is works-based righteousness. It gets haywired. We're not, we're not truly committed to what Christ said is to live a life pleasing in, by him, by faith, by trusting in his finished work. See, guys, in Corinthians, there's, a, there's this passage that's been eating me all the way back from youth camp this summer. In youth camp, we taught uh, um, the children, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and I might be wrong, where it says that we are a new creation in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. So therefore, whenever you read in Galatians 5 about the Holy Spirit and the gifts that are dwelling in us, we are that person. We are that person. Why don't we act like it? Why don't we live it out? Why don't we see it? Well, it's because of sin. So it seems like the Bible is there to help us get rid of the sin so we can live out of that. So we can live out of that. That's, that's the whole purpose of how people change. That's the whole purpose of our discipleship groups. We are not there yet. We are working our way for discipleship groups to fully work how it'll help each other to change in a way that we get rid of the idols, we get rid of the sin in our life, and we can live as we are because he's already declared us this way. And we don't do it by works. We do it by believing the gospel by seeing the things in our heart that we were believing over the gospel and we get rid of those things and then truly believe the gospel. And we don't like that because we want to do some works. <laughs> no, Joe, I got to, you know, we want to be like Luther who, who beat himself to death trying to pay penance for his sins. No, we don't need to do that. We need to read the word of God and believe it because it's true. It's who you are. You are a new creature in Christ. Every sin that you have committed is under the blood of Christ. Everything. Walk in that. This is who you are. Walk in that. Walk in that. And whenever we start walking into that, we can step into the last aspect of commitment. 
And this is, this is so much how I know that discipleship stops. And unfortunately, so many churches stop in their teaching. Because in order to be committed, you have to be vulnerable. And I've been in churches where if you walk through the door and say, I'm struggling with sin, they would say, oh, you lost your salvation. You better get to the thing and repent. No, I'm just a human being living in a fallen world with the Holy Spirit dwelling in me to consistently showing me my sin. That's crazy. That's crazy. It has to move into the commitment part. And the only way that we are going to commit to anything is to be vulnerable. Go back to our surgeon. Go back to our surgeon. Until you put yourself in the hands of the doctor, until you lay on the table and they put in the medicine that makes you go to la-la land, until you are willing to do that, you are not committed. You are not committed. Not until you have done that can you be certain if the person is trustworthy. What happens on the other end of the surgery? Who did you get the references from? You got the references from the people that had surgery under this doctor and is now talking to you, thank the Lord, and they can say, he did a good job. Well, we have a Bible, and we have a, a, the creation around us, and we have a church that is constantly giving you the reference. You can trust God. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can be vulnerable. You don't have to live a life worrying about what other people think of you because you know what your heavenly father thinks of you. You don't have to live a life trying to measure up to somebody else's standards because you have a heavenly father who loves you, who sent his son, who gave you his righteousness, his perfection. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? If you are, then we can be vulnerable. We can sit down in our D groups and we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to cover anymore. We can share our lives and we can say, look, man, this week I, I keep struggling with this and I keep bumping up against it. Would you pray for me or show me some scripture? Would show me where I'm not believing? It's great. In fact, oftentimes when that happens, it's amazing what happens when people do that. The gospel is on display and people are rejoicing. And, and then you say, man, that was the best speed group we've ever had. It's because somebody became vulnerable because they're actually committed to their faith. Their faith is actually being worked out. Their faith is actually being worked out. By faith, you're allowing that surgeon to do his job, right? You've gained an understanding, you've come to a conviction enough to make a decision, and you go in and have the surgery. And by faith, you're allowing that man to do his job, by faith. How many professing Christians live never trusting God like that? Never trusting him like that. They're always hiding, they're always covering, and they just don't trust him like that. We get hijacked by the question, did God really say that? Did God really say that did God really say? You reason and then you have to commit. You have to live it out, you have to rest in it, you have to stick to it. This is faith. 
It begins with understanding, it leads to conviction, and it's completed by commitment. Our passage gives us three examples of faith that pleases God because we see each of them are committed. They're sold out. Let's take a look. We pick up the story in verse 22. When a time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The they is referring to Mary and Joseph, of course, who believed that they were taught about God. They were raised in Jewish families and they were taught. They didn't have, their parents taught them to, to hide the word in their heart. They were convicted that it is true and, and they were committed to making this journey back to give the sacrifices. They have been taught what God has said and requires to please him and their faith is revealed in their commitment to obey. Now there's three separate ceremonies happening here. First, the purification ceremony involving Mary, 40 days after birth. This is found in Leviticus 12, two and four. Speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. And is the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, which they did. Then she shall continue for 30 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. This is just the, the way that they kept things separated. Second, the presentation of the firstborn to the Lord. We find that in Exodus 13, 2. We see all these things that Mary and Joseph is doing right here. 13, 2 says, Concentrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and the beast, is mine. You shall not apart the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord. So we give our first portion, right? That's the idea of tithing. That's where it came from that we give the first portion of everything that we have to the Lord. Time, talents, treasures, we give him the first portion. The third is the dedication of the firstborn for the Lord's service. And, and we see this in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and this is the story of Hannah, right, where she, she prays for a baby where like she's at the temple and they think that she's drunk or, or, or something's going on with her and she's just praying that earnestly that God would give her a child. God gave her a child. And then later on, what does she do? She gives that firstborn child to the Lord in service. That's what we see happening here. This is what's happening. Do you see that they, they understood what God's law said and it, and it convicted them enough that they were committed to go and do these ceremonies. Mary and Joseph fully committed to making the journey, fully committed to obeying God's law, and fully committed to pleasing God. This passage also gives us some insight into the course of the life of Jesus, that he was grown, grew up in a life where he was taught the Old Testament, because that's obviously all they had. From the very beginning of his life, he was dedicated in every detail to the commandments of God. He will be raised in a home that teaches the law of God. Mary and Joseph challenges our faith by challenging our commitment to obedience. They challenge our faith and they show us faith 
by the commitment to the obedience to all these different laws that they had to fulfill. But thankfully, Jesus fulfilled all those laws. He's fulfilled all those. So we are not under that law anymore. But he fulfilled them. But it just challenges us. Do, do we look at the Word of God and pick and choose, or will we truly commit and believe and have faith in, in what the Lord has laid out for us is good for us, is best for us, actually? Will we obey God not because it gives us prosperity, but because it pleases Him? Because it pleases Him. Because He is our ultimate importance. Or do we pick and choose from the Word of God because we live by what is right in our own eyes? I know I do that oftentimes. You know, I'm about to step into something and I know that the Word of God has already spoke to me and said, Joe, you probably shouldn't do that, but yeah. All right, Lord, here we go again. Let me get out Psalms 51 and, and start reading. But isn't that to hang up? We pick and choose from the Word of God because we live by what is right in our own eyes. We live by what is right in our own eyes. That's how we live. Our culture around us is, is this is like, you know, it's been elevated here recently in the last three or four years. You live by what's right in your own eyes. Not if you're a Christian, you've been bought at a price. You live by what the Word of God says. And the good thing is, it's good for you. It is good for you. That's our hang-up, isn't it, that we want to live right in our own eyes? The first aspect of faith is hijacked by sin. Did God really say that? Our understanding is, is off. So our faith gets hijacked because we live by what is right in our own eyes. Let's just, let's let Scripture test us. All right, let's let Scripture test us. How many of you, and, and don't answer out loud, answer to yourself, how many of you outwardly or maybe secretly have issues with what happened to Uzzah? And maybe some of you are like, well, who's Uzzah and what happened to Uzzah, right? Well, just to refresh your memory, do we, you can find this. You go back and read this. I'm not making this up. 2 Samuel 6, you can read all about it, where David wanted the ark of God moved from one city to Jerusalem, Right? And Uzzah was one of the two men that was, was charged to move in the ark. And what happened to Uzzah? The, the, the oxen stumbles, as the story goes, and, and the ark starts shaking. You know, I mean, you think about first century. It, it wasn't like they were putting it in an 18-wheeler or nothing, right? This was a wooden thing that held together by rope and different things. So here it is that the ark is, is wobbling. What does Uzzah do? He sticks out his hand to steady the ark, and he dies instantly. Now, let me ask you, is that fair? What is your heart saying? Is that fair? He just touched the ark. I mean, the ark would have fell. What happened if the ark fell? Where's your heart going right now? What do you think about the story of Isaiah? In my experience, most people believe that this is irrelevant act that Uzzah did does not deserve penalty. There ain't no way that that deserves penalty especially the penalty of death. But see, the Word of God says, nothing defiled or unclean will touch the ark. That's what the Word says. Nothing defiled or unclean will touch the ark. 
Brothers and sisters, mud is not defiled or unclean. If the ark fell off the cart, I don't know, they have to figure out a way to, to get it back up, I'm sure, but the mud is not defiled. Uzzah disobeyed God's word and paid the same penalty that every human faces for disobeying God's word, and that is death. Every single human being faces the same penalty for disobeying God, and that's death. <laughs> Which is wonderful news about the gospel, is it not? That's the good news. Jesus took the death we deserve if we believe and have faith in him. He took the death for our disobedience. He took the death for our rebellion. He took the death that we deserve, that we will be reminded of when we take communion here in a few minutes. That's the gospel. If we understand, if we are con convicted, and if we truly, and it will truly lead us to committing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news, get this, the good news even gets better because not only did he take our death and he gave us freedom, we are no longer enslaved to do what is right in our own eyes. We are no longer slaves to do so because before God acts upon us, before he changes our heart, we do not have a choice. We will rebel and sin against God until we get a new heart. Until he removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, that way he can start molding it and shaping it we read this in Romans 6, 5 through 11, where he tells us that he has freed us from sin. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Freed from sin. This is who you are in Christ. The problem is, what happens is, we have idols, we have desires in our hearts that form and by understanding not of God's word, but an understanding formed by what is right in our own eyes. We have these things that we worship, our desires, the things of this world. We're not committed to God or the Bible, we're committed to our idols. And every single one of us struggle with this. This is what sin is. This is why we, we are so interested in sanctification. This is why we know that the purpose for you is to be sanctified. Sanctified. That is exactly what God tells us in Thessalonians. Now, let me give you just another quick test from this passage. It is a good thing to see our heart idols and, and to see our desires. And, and maybe Anna's story helps us see that a little bit. And in fact, I want to ask you to see that maybe. Let's look, what, look at Anna's life. This is picked up in verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in her years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So let's just look at Anna's life real quick. We can do the numbers. Married probably at age 14, 14, 15, 13. That's usually when they were married then. She was married for seven years, right? That makes her 21. Then she was widowed, and now she's 84, right? So for 63 years, Anna did what? She did not depart from the temple. For 63 years, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. 
So let's take the test. Write down or, or make a mental note, however it works best for you. If you're a kinetic learner, you might want to write it down. What do you think Anna missed out on because of her calling in life? Write something down. What is something or something that you feel you would miss out on if this was your calling in life? For 63 years, you go to the temple, you pray, you fast, you tell people about God. What would you miss out on? You have been called to spend every day with God and you are being used by God to, take, to make him known. That was Anna's charge. She was at the temple. What do you think she missed out on? What do you think you would miss out on if that was your call in life? So let's think through this. It is something that may be a good thing. Family, my children, my spouse, this, that, and the other. It may be a good thing. They rest in your heart and prevent you from committing to God as he's called you to. Or maybe at the root, it's something that you're worshiping more than God. Maybe it's something that we're worshiping more than God because why do we need anything more than God? Why would that be a bad deal if, if, if he's called us to spend 63 years worshiping him, fasting and praying? What are we missing out on? See how these idols work? See how these desires of the heart work? The first aspect of faith has been hijacked. Instead of trusting one doctor over the other to become vulnerable, resulting in a commitment. You have trusted images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy, creeping things. We've exchanged the truth. Let me just give you God's word on the subject in Romans 1. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creatures rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That describes all those who are not yet born again. But we are not completely sanctified, so we still have some of this lingering in us. Lingering in us. And don't get me wrong, we gotta find a balance. Because, you know, for my wife, it honors the Lord if I love her and, and, and treat her and serve her as the Bible tells me I should. That honors the Lord. But she can't replace the Lord for me. Nothing can. We're to be about his business. In fact, what is the first commandment? You have, shall have no other God before me. Anna was a widow. She lost everything except the most important thing, God. She had God. She chose a lifetime of service to God over remarriage. And we see that when Jesus arrives at the temple, she praised God and addressed the crowd concerning Israel's redemption. Anna helps us rationally choose what God we will serve by providing evidence for our consideration. That's why she's here. There's more evidence. She believed that Jesus was the Savior. 
She believes that she saw the salvation, and she went and told people, which leads us to our last example of faith that honors God, and that is Simeon. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do, with, do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for your revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what he had said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is appointed the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And let me just say this real quick. Jesus does not allow you to be either sort of for him or not for him. You have to do something. He doesn't allow you for that. He doesn't allow for that. And a sword will pierce through you. She's He's talking about Mary. In your own soul, most people think this is the cross. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Right? Whenever you, you have the rich young ruler going to Jesus, how may I be saved? Well, you know the commandments, and the rich young ruler says, well, I followed them. He says, well, what? Go sell everything. Well, see, that was the idol of his heart that he just could not get rid of. He could not get rid of. That's, he loved that, his money, more than he loved God. See, this Simeon, he was righteous and devout. He spent his life looking for the Messiah. He did so because he had faith in God's promises and God's character. Much like the Jews who groaned in times of bondage, wept in times of exile, who now were oppressed under the heavy burden of the tyranny of Rome, looked to heaven for the release from their suffering. Simeon was waiting, man. He had a promise from God. He knows who God is. He says, I, I can trust him. He's living out his faith. He's committed. We too look toward heaven to be freed from life under the sun. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him, not just a momentary enablement like Samson or Gideon, but an abiding on Sam Simeon. Not only did he have a special endowment of God's Spirit upon him, but God had given him a very special revelation. And it had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Before Simeon would take his last breath, he would see the Messiah. He had understanding. He was also obviously convicted of it because here he is in the temple. He's waiting, he's looking. He's committed to it. And when he sees God's salvation, the joy comes pouring out in a hymn. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, Simeon can now depart in peace. He can now enter God's rest. So where was Simeon vulnerable? I made the argument with, the, with, the, with us and also with the, as we're choosing a surgeon, and at some point we need to be vulnerable. 
Where was he vulnerable? Well, the simple fact that he trusts the Lord with his death. He trusted God with his death. He trusted God with his death. Now, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. He's had a lifetime of gathering information and has decided to believe God's word about seeing the Messiah. And he is now completely vulnerable. Lord, I trust you with my death. Does your faith allow you to trust God with your death? Does your faith today allow you to trust God with your death like Simeon did there? You know the wonderful news? The gospel says you can. We have a promise. Each and every one of us that is in Christ can trust God with our death just as Simeon did because we have a promise. Listen to the promise. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God here, brothers and sisters, all those that are in Christ, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you trust God with your death? Because Jesus Christ died for you, and he rose again. And in this passage, it is promised that one day we will rise with him. Talk about a powerful church. You get a group of people together that trust God with their death and nothing on this planet can stop them. This, this fish tank would be overflowing because everybody we'd bump into, we tell them about this wonderful God that you know, that you trust, that you have faith in because you're committed to him. We will become a people who are vulnerable with one another and help each other crush the idols in our life so that they can, we can live by faith in the one true God. I just pray today that you would consider your ways. Understand who Christ is and all that he has done for you. You are a new creature in Christ. And with this overwhelming evidence, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you and lead you to the side to become vulnerable and truly commit your life to following Jesus. Beloved, you can trust him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your help by your spirit and your word 
and those around us that you have called to be in covenant relationship with as we walk this path of sanctification. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the idols of our hearts, the things that we desire more than you. You have simply identified them as sin. That is what sin is, as we disobey and we trust in other things. Lord, help us to to agree with the Holy Spirit as he convicts us, Lord, that we would turn from those things and we would see Christ for who he is and we would trust in his finished work. My sin is forgiven. And Lord, that we would truly commit to our faith. With your help. And Lord, I pray if today through hearing all that Christ have done, Lord, if there's one here, you are changing their heart as we speak. You are removing the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh so that they can actually understand and see Christ for who he is and themselves for who they are, separated from God. Lord, I pray that they would turn, they would repent, they would stop trusting in themselves or anything else and truly trust in you today. And Father, we will rejoice with them as the angels will rejoice as you have saved and called another child to your family. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we are reminded in communion of what you have done. And then as we sing and worship and praise you for what you have done, Lord, Lord, I pray that we could do that with a new commitment to be living by faith as we consider our ways. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.